Welcome to another Sustainable Wine Podcast with me, Toby Webb. Joining us in this podcast are a group of experts from Spain uh, under the guidance of Mikel Ross, an independent consultant and writer who moderates the session. And the session was held on November 26th at 2020 as part of the Future of Wine Forum 2020, which was sponsored by the British Standards Institution, Chateau Lube, Concha Itoro, DM and Control Union. Please enjoy our Lessons from Spain session featuring Marta Terrado from the Barcelona Supercomputing Centre, Joanne Estevejulia, Director of Seller Rymat, Albert Eru, General Manager of the Catalan Cork Institute Foundation, uh, and as mentioned, it is moderated by Mikel Ross. Thank you for listening, and if you'd like to have more podcasts from us, please check Sustainable Wine on your podcast app. Most of you possibly know Spain is one of the main wine-producing areas in the world, and that's why we wanted to have a deep look, also because Spain, because of the, of the climate area where it's located, it's likely to be one of the uh, areas in the world to be most impacted by climate change. And particularly in, in Catalonia, which is one of the main wine producing areas, um, there's quite a lot of initiatives that are approaching sustainability from different angles. So here for this session, we have a very diverse uh, panel that will cover different aspects of the sustainability in the wine industry. We've got Marta Terrado, that is from the Barcelona Supercomputing Center. And why a, a supercomputing center in a wine session? Well, because the Barcelona Supercomputing Center is modeling climate and it's uh, looking at the long term, how mid and long term, how climate change can affect um, the territory where where uh, wine, where grapes are grown. And particularly uh, the Barcelona Supercomputing Center has been working with a number of uh, institutions in the wine industry in, in Catalonia and in Spain to, to look at this issue. And we also have uh, from, the, from the wine industry, Joan Esteba, uh, is the CEO of Raimat. Raimat is uh, the, uh, well, one of the largest uh, wine growers by by land is actually it has the largest state single state in in Spain and I think one of the largest in Europe. He will correct me if I'm wrong now. And it's a it's a um, it's a seller that has particularly paid a lot of attention uh, to sustainability. And he will explain us how they basically look at sustainability from a from a very comprehensive point of view so they they cover pretty much all aspects of the of the ground growing uh, wine growing and, and wine making process from a sustainable angle and then we have albert Reu, that is a general manager of the catalan cork foundation uh, catalan cork institute foundation that is the organization that um, looks after the interests of the of the catalan cork industry uh, it's a, a very large industry in, in some areas near the, the Costa Brava area. And it's an institution that's been promoting the use of cork as a closure uh, because it's got a number of uh, advantages from the point of view of sustainability. So let me introduce our speakers here for, for this session. Let me start with uh, Marta Terrado of the Barcelona Supercomputing Center. Hi, Marta. Hi, hello. Um, hi, Marta. Um, one of the things that might uh, be um, catching the eye of, of uh, the people here in the session is why we have a, a, an organization like the Barcelona Supercomputing Center in a, in a session about wine. And that's because you've been working on the climate aspects of wine growing. And you've been working closely with uh, some institutions in uh, not just, in, not just in Catalonia and Spain, but I think internationally as well, um, to look at how climate change is affecting uh, the wine industry. And you're using your, all your computing power. Uh, you have these uh, supercomputers uh, here in Barcelona and you are, using, you are putting it to good use to uh, help the wine industry adapt to, uh, to, to possible changes in the near future. So can you tell us a bit more about the, the work you do and what's the time frames you are looking at? Yeah, 
Okay, so first, yeah, uh, I'm from a supercomputing institution, but uh, apart from these supercomputing resources that you have uh, talked about, Mikel, we also have like a very multidisciplinary team that uh, is made of uh, science communication specialists, social scientists, also climate scientists, of course, and many other profiles that what we try to do is to, to, to make the exchange, so to bring science closer to society, and somehow make this exchange of knowledge possible. Because sometimes we realize that both communities, the business community, in this case, the wine sector, and the scientific community, we often talk different languages. So, so it's important to, to make sure we are all on the same page. So uh, we are collaborating uh, with grape growers in the framework of different European research projects. And our objective is uh, to, to see how having information in advance about how climate conditions for the next weeks and months, seasons, and even years might be, uh, can help also the, the grape growers to be better prepared to deal with the effects of climate change because they can plan uh, for these changing climate conditions more, more in advance. So uh, we know that grape growers uh, are very aware of climate change and of the fact that what was considered normal in the past for a particular place and time, it doesn't hold anymore and, and, and it's, it's different nowadays. For this reason, there is a need to do things a little bit differently and to adapt the management practices uh, to the climate changes that we are witnessing. And for some field operations, uh, having information for the next few days, let's say uh, one to five, even 10 days into the future is, is enough. Uh, and, and actually, uh, the sector is already relying on this type of weather forecast for the next uh, few days. Uh, for instance, to decide whether to apply or not plant protection products at a particular moment, or to, to apply fertilizers, and so on. However, there are other types of decisions that ideally would need to have uh, inform information uh, more time in advance. And here is where the, the type, here is where the, the type of uh, predictions that we provide, which are longer term, have a, a role to play. How long? What's How long? That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> yes. So we can provide uh, predictions uh, for the next, let's say, from two weeks uh, into the future to two to five to ten years into the future. This wow. means that, that we can provide information, for instance, for the next two, three, four weeks for the next months, for the next seasons, and even for these uh, next years. But it is very important to keep in mind that this type of predictions cannot be understood the same way as we understand uh, the, these uh, short-term weather forecasts that we are used to work with. So for instance, uh, we cannot say that the average temperature next season will be 10 degrees. This is not possible with this type of predictions, but what we can see is whether the temperature for the next season will be normal. And by normal, we mean the, the average conditions of the last uh, past years, or if uh, next season, will the temperature will be higher than normal or lower than normal. And also the probability of these three situations to happen. Mm -hmm. And how does this translate in a actionable uh, input for the an actionable output from you that the that the wine growers can use an, as an input. Are there reports or are there specific recommendations that you issue to people that work with you? Yeah, it's not exactly that we issue uh, recommendations. It's more a kind of uh, uh, of something that we are learning together, the the wine industry and us as scientists. So what we do is to sit together and try try to understand each other. And each case is very particular sometimes because you know you have these big companies and then you have small producers as we have seen today in the different discussions. So what we try to do is more to understand the situation of the grape growers and then uh, try to help them to adapt their strategy, ensuring that they have like a timely, inter that they can have a timely intervention uh, to, to their crops and avoid this application of last minute measures uh, to preserve the crops from damage, uh, which often translate in higher costs and also higher losses of yields. So it's a matter of having this information in advance to, 
to be better informed and then just try to, to, to make your decisions accordingly. And what we have seen is that it, 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 this is uh, useful for, for sustainable, for making practices more sustainable. And for example, some practices that can benefit are the optimization of the use of, um, of plant protection products. Also, these type of predictions can help reduce the, the food loss, and it allows also the timely management of production resources that can be, for instance, uh, labor, the rental of equipment, also the management of stocks and so on. And if you look at the longer term, uh, this type of information can also be helpful for strategic planning. And this includes the change of crop varieties or moving the production to more sustainable areas in the cases that is an option for that. Of course, we know that it's not always possible. And, and how accurate is it in geographical terms? How, how um, narrow is your, your, are your predictions when you look at the territory? I mean, you, you look at wine regions as a whole, or you can even go as granular as specific wine states? Yeah, so initially the, the predictions we have uh, doesn't have a very, very high resolution. They come uh, from uh, global models and global models mean that normally you have a resolution that it's quite low. So the grid cells are not, uh, are not very, very accurate. Let's say they, they are big and then you cannot provide this information so accurately. But then in our team, there are some people just devoted to make these, uh, like, let's say, low resolution predictions to, they bring them to the point, and the point can be like the parcels, you know, the, uh, so the, where the, the uh, let's say, where the, la the, the farmer has the land. And then, but this is a process that requires, let's say, more efforts from our side. But it's also possible. Yes. And one last question before we move on to Joan is uh, how, how can uh, wine growers uh, work with your, your, uh, with your predictions? Do you work directly with the wine growers? Do they get to you directly or do you work through uh, industry organizations, through public institutions? Um, what's, what's a, what's a pra in, in practical terms, how can wine growers um, get access to to you to the work you do yeah we are we are actually working with some of them uh, in, in the it's making the framework of different projects you know because uh, it's the way that this collaboration is made possible because you know gra grape growers are involved into the project they receive some money that pays for their time for their know-how everything so we have these collaborations together and and the way we develop it, it's like, it's based on mutual understanding. So we, we learn from them about their needs and they also learn from us what's possible to get. Because as you mentioned, uh, resolution is an issue, but we have also other issues, which are what happens if we provide you with a prediction for the next year. And then somehow we can say this prediction fails predicting something. So there is here, all uh, a, a big process of building capacity. So uh, meaning that they, uh, that grape growers understand how these predictions, because in the end, these are probabilistic predictions, how this work, so they can manage also their expectations. They don't expect to get, you know, the magic formula. They know what we can provide and they know when they can, they can use these predictions and when it's not advisable to use them. Very well. So, um, let's move on to uh, the next panelist. Um, if you have questions about supercomputing center work, just feel free to, to pose them here and we'll try to answer uh, before this session is over. But let's move now to, uh, to, to the next panelist, uh, Joan Esteva, the CEO of Raimat. Uh, Raimat, uh, well, he will be able to explain better, but it's, it's, a, it's a large state. Uh, it's part of Codernew Group, I think. And uh, basically, uh, what's interesting about Raimat is all the work that's been done in managing the managing the, um, the wine growing state in a sustainable way, and that's a very uh, holistic, comprehensive way that includes from um, not just the, the farming methods, but also the uh, energy uh, energy management, energy generation, uh, management of species that are found on the on the wine growing state, and um, yeah, so showing that the Sustainability is not just about uh, organic, but it's a whole whole philosophy that covers all aspects of wine growing. So, Joan, um, 
Hello. Uh, can you explain us a little bit more mm. about uh, yeah. Raimat and the work you do there? Because uh, I, I'm particularly interested in learning what drives the sustainability, uh, very, very strong sustainability policies that you have at Raimat. Okay. Um, can you hear me? Uh, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. First of all, I wanted to thank the organization uh, to be part of this, uh, this table. And it's an opportunity to share um, a lot of work we have done since uh, 100 years ago, when, or even more, when Raimat was founded as a winery. And as you said, it's important to understand a little bit the background of Raimat because we are owned by the Codorniu Group, which is uh, the oldest uh, company in Spain and one of the oldest in the world. So um, that also it's, it's another value and, and it's an expression on a real sustainable company no? in some way because it's, it's not easy nowadays to have uh, this kind of old companies. Uh, as you said too, uh, Raimat is a huge estate. It's uh, around 3,000 hectares, the total estate. And out of those around 2000, they are planted on vineyards. So uh, we have not only the opportunity, but also the responsibility of managing a huge piece of, of a territory. Uh, and and that, that is not only managing a specific blocks of vineyards, uh, that is probably the common way of uh, making viticulture and winemaking, uh, but also managing uh, wetlands, uh, forests, uh, even, even when Raimat was bought by Manuel Raventos uh, in, in uh, 1914, uh, is when it, it was bought. So we're talking more uh, than 100 years ago. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, just um, one, one, uh, one comment here for, for the people that might not be familiar with, uh, with the Raimat brand. Uh, you are uh, when you we talk about territory, we are talking Raimat is located um, in the in the plain of of Lleida, which is the the designation of origin Custes del Segre, right? right. In, in the west part of Catalonia, just yeah. on the on the foothills of the Pyrenees, just to right. about 100, 150 kilometers west of Barcelona, roughly. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> for that introduction. Uh, well, as I said, um, because it's, it's, it's a, such a big farm, uh, originally when Manuel Raventos bought the farm, there were nothing about it. It was like, uh, like a desert. So uh, he had to build a whole village. The village of Raimat actually was, was uh, made to, to have all the, the workforce to go on with this project. So. Uh, the church had to be created, the school, the old infrastructures of uh, water, uh, drainage, uh, electricity, uh, even the cemeteries are still part of the company. So you can imagine all those uh, added difficulties we, we have not only managing the, the winery. Uh, and it's, it's just uh, having that uh, background uh, that create this uh, responsibility that since its origin uh, has pushed it in that sustainable way of uh, managing uh, a company. No? Um, uh, our, our goal at the end is um, it's, it's not just being sustainable because it's fancy, it's uh, trying to live a better world that we found when, when we got here. No? So, uh, for example, having a, a farm like this we have the capacity on not allowing the hunting in the whole farm. And thanks to that, for example, uh, there is plenty of uh, wildlife that is completely integrated in the vineyards and, and all those areas. Uh, we have identified more than 50 different uh, birds uh, around the farm. So uh, it, we, there is a real biodiversity thanks to, to those decisions. No? We also have planted uh, thousands of trees in the last years uh, to, to help uh, to recover some, some uh, uh, desertic areas or salinity areas. So many of those actions is not specifically focused on, on just uh, making grapes. It's, it's also focused in, in 
in having a, a better place to live. No? Uh, another nice example, for example, is, is the water supply we have, um, that it's uh, melted snow water coming directly from the pigeons. Uh, instead of having an open channel, which is the common way of, uh, of transporting the water, uh, we have uh, constructed a big uh, pipe uh, getting the water with natural pressure so uh, we can we don't need to pump any more the water and uh, we, we can irrigate without using any pumping uh, this is an investment that the payback is more than 50 years well the, the price of the electricity probably is going to be a little bit less but <laughs> in any case uh, there is not many companies in the world that uh, they they invest in things that the payback is is more than fifty years, no? Because this is for the next generation. It's, it's not for our, ourselves. So uh, th those are just some examples of of the things other than managing a vineyard and a winery that that we have pushed it during the last years and and is more or less uh, the driving forces of of our. Of our activity, no. So that's that's why Raimat is so sensitive to sustainability, and probably we can talk of uh, probably more than a hundred actions that we have in that in that way, no. Yeah, I think the list is it's quite impressive. Uh, we possibly don't have time in this session uh, to go mm -hmm. in detail about uh, on each of them because it, it's really really a long list of of different actions you are managing on different aspects of the of the state. Mm -hmm. um, here I have uh, a couple of questions. One is um, do you have uh, some objective measures, some KPIs that you are measuring to, to understand uh, whether you are making progress on some aspects or, or you are th there are things that can still be improved or, or there are other, other things that you would like to, to focus on? And the other question is um, how you communicate this to a public that is increasingly uh, more concerned about these sustain sustainability issues? Mm. Um, is the market really uh, appreciating this effort and how you make sure that this is communicated in an effective way so that people, when people go to the shop and they, they see all these different bottles, they, they know that if they are buying a, a, a wine from you, they are also supporting all this very intense mm. effort you are making. Yeah, that's a very long question. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> I will try to summarize uh, some of what you asked me, and probably I will start from the second question when you say uh, uh, how how do you make sure that the public uh, recognize um, those efforts. No, uh, actually, it, it's a difficult issue because in the market, as uh, we saw in the different sessions here, there is a big confusion. confusion uh, among all these terms, no? what, what is sustainability? How do you measure? Uh, if you are organic, uh, probably some people may think that you are more sustainable and probably there is nothing to do between organic and sustainable no? that we already saw in other sessions. And he's right. I mean, uh, it's not sustainable make organic in a place where it rains every day or, or <laughs> at least to make uh, wine grapes. Or, or uh, on the other way, no, it's, it's, um, there, there is nothing to do on each other. So we need, we need things to measure and, and to communicate that. No? That's, that's why there are so many certifications where we are on those. Uh, for example, I don't know, we, we are one of the first that uh, voluntary um, Add to the, C, the the voluntary agreement of CO2 reduction of the Catalan government, for example. We were one of the pioneers of the wineries for climate protection when started uh, several years ago. We also certified on 14,001. Uh, we also are certified by integrated production that is probably the one that is closer to sustainability and not only organic production, but we also have all kinds of organic certifications, NOP, uh, EcoCert, and we are in the process of BioSwiss right now. And, and even within the appellation, uh, we have created um, like a, a, a sustainable program that tries to measure in some way 
your your progress no is uh, sustainability we know that it's we, we will never reach the, the perfect because it's a, it's a process that uh, you improve day by day so it's it's all a long term actions and and many times is the sum of many small actions no um, that's why thanks to all those certifications is where we can add the kpas <laughs> that they are also very important, like uh, how much water we used uh, 10 years ago and now how much water we are using now to make a bottle of wine, no? or uh, the, the CO2 footprint, or even how much energy we spend now, uh, how, uh, which is the percentage of uh, own produced photovoltaic energy. No? And, and I could tell you many of those and all the improvements we have done during all these years and they are also very nice but but this is not it's not the thing the, the thing i think is having the sensitivity to to improve day after day and trying to live a better world that's that's the final goal and and in addition i would say that it is also economically uh, positive i mean when when you use like the example I, I had with uh, the natural water pressure, uh, at the end is is uh, economically sustainable. No, I mean uh, sooner by sooner uh, the the energy cost is cheaper and cheaper, and the same we can do when this year we introduced a new technology for uh, pest control, uh, which uh, they are called tunnels that re recyclate. Uh, the, the pesticides you, you apply, even is organic or inorganic, it doesn't matter. And you can save up to 40% of those. So that, that's, that's really positive. No, I mean, it's, it's a big investment, but at the end, uh, all, all these uh, sustainable actions, uh, they are also very economical. Mm -hmm. what, what's this technology you mentioned for pesticides? Yeah, a tunnel. They, are called, they are called tunnels. And it's a, a kind of mist blower that uh, has like different panels in the two sides of the of the vine, and when uh, spreads when when mist uh, the, the the product to the vine, if there is a drift, is recycled by the panel that is in the other side, and then it comes back to the to the tank. No? So mm -hmm. uh, it, it's just a way to measure the. Um, the, the drift that there is in a standard uh, uh, mist blower. So if, if you avoid that drift, you can reuse that product in the vineyard and you save a lot of product and, and it's more uh, environmental sustainable. No? Mm -hmm. Interesting. So like those, uh, there are many, many examples uh, that at the end, uh, they, they are not only more sustainable for the environment, for, for all the animals, that are around the vineyard, but also they also economic in a short or long term, depending. Mm -hmm. Well, well, thank you very much for for this very detailed explanation. Mm. And let's go to the next panelist, Albert uh, from the Catalan Institute of uh, Cork uh, Foundation. You manage the organization that represents the interests of the um, Catalan Cork industry and which is historically it's been uh, very important in the in the area that uh, well it's internationally known as the Costa Brava in uh, north of Barcelona about 100 150 kilometers north of Barcelona it's a it's a cork uh, growing area and there is also a lot of cork growing in in uh, in Portugal the south of Spain so that would be the main source of cork in the world right and you are, um, uh, your role is actually to, well, one of your roles is to uh, promote, to communicate um, how cork can be a very sustainable uh, and very efficient material for wine closures. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about the task that you do at the Institute and, and why cork is such a, a great material for, for uh, wine closures and how it it aligns very well with the sustainable uh, wine theme that we are discussing here today. Okay, uh, well, first of all, thanks for, for having me. 
and uh, the the Catalan Cork Institute Foundation is a non-profit scientific organization uh, created in 1991, and uh, we are dedicated to to the study and promotion of the Cork sector, as you said, uh, through uh, quality controls and the standardization of Cork stoppers, uh, research on wine inter Cork wine interaction communication, promotion, and also research on uh, new applications uh, with, uh, with Cork uh, material. Yes, it's true. And uh, about the, the, the second question, uh, well, you said that um, uh, we are, uh, or uh, what a part of our job is, is to promote it, to, to explain how uh, uh, the, the Cork sector um, is uh, environmental friendly, as we can say. And well, I like to say that, that uh, the cork sector is, is a clear example of a regenerative economic model, no? because it adds, adds value to society and, and environment uh, through activities that uh, promote the, the, the capture of CO2, the, the maintenance of the forest hab habitats, and the uh, revitalization of uh, rural areas. No? And uh, um, if I can, sorry, if I can stop you yes. here one second. Hmm. Uh, because uh, went through my mind. One is that it's obviously a natural material. So there, there are no, yeah. no petrochemicals or other, other materials there that are uh, difficult to, to recycle later. So it, it can be, it's, a, it's, a, it's natural. It's, it's a material that it's... Um, it regenerates, as you said, because the, the cork grows on the on the trees and it's it's harvested every certain number of years and then it grows again if it's well managed. And and the other thing is actually by by having this industry and and and, and having these forests, these forests themselves they they, they capture carbon as well. So mm -hmm. I have seen I read um, a report recently from one of the Portuguese. Uh, one of the major Portuguese uh, companies in, in the cork industry um, that was saying that actually the, a, a, cor a wine cork, uh, a closure made of cork for wine can, can be uh, capturing as much uh, carbon uh, as, uh, you know, as it, it uh, actually um, produces in, in the whole production of the of, of the wine, so it, it's actually kind of a, a, a way to ca capture car carbon to, to, to sustain this industry. Um, do you have any figures, any information about the, the role that cork, yeah, uh, the cork true. industry plays in this? Well, in, I think that, yes, yes, we, we have uh, been working about that because I think that it's uh, um, an important matter to, in order to communicate the, the importance of, of use uh, cork stoppers. No? And uh, yes, it's true. So, some companies uh, have been uh, doing different studies that prove that cork stopper ca can retain uh, more than 500 grams of CO2 uh, when a standard glass bottle releases more or less approximately 400 grams of uh, CO2 for, for their production. And uh, that's not surprising because if you think uh, a cork, uh, to, to make a cork stopper, you need a cork tree that has been growing and capturing carbon for at least 60 years, which is the, the, the age required for, for a cork tree to, to provide uh, quality cork, no? so. And also, if you if you retain that that uh, numbers, and uh, if we think globally, there are uh, 2.1 million hectares of cork forest worldwide. It produces uh, 12 billion cork stoppers annually. And uh, if we have, uh, if we take on average retention of more or less 300. Uh, grams of CO2 per cork stopper, it will be a global uh, retention equivalent to 3.6 million tons of CO2 per year. And also, if we take the, the global average uh, per capita emission ratio, 
This is equivalent to the annual uh, CO2, uh, CO2 emission of almost 720 million people. No? So imagine the, the whole huge amount of uh, CO2 retained by, by the cork sector. No? Uh, Albert, one question. Uh, do we have a question from, from Claire here? Um, asking if you could please repeat before uh, earlier, you said uh, you mentioned some uh, numbers for a, a bottle, the, the yeah. amount of carbon uh, for a bottle and a, and a cork. Do you have, can you repeat that, those numbers as well? I think you said something like 400 yes. grams. There, uh, uh, there are one study, I can give you exactly the, the, the name of the study, but I remember that it, it uh, calculated 400 grams of CO2 for uh, production of one glass bottle. No? So for and the glass, for the, for the container. Yes, just, mm -hmm. for the just for the glass, no? Mm -hmm. But uh, if, you, uh, if you count the, the, all the container of the wine, the glass and the, the cork stopper, you, you can see that uh, the cork stopper um, uh, also uh, gives an amount of fixation positive no, at the end. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. You were mentioning about the carbon capture, um, but also about the, how does it compare in terms of um, the, the recycling and, and the, 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 from, the, from the waste point of view? Uh, mm. to other, other solutions that are there in the market for stoppers and closures. I think also there, there's been also some innovation in recent years and the, the, the closures industry has been launching other uh, stoppers from different, different types, different materials. Um, so can, what can you tell us from, about the waste angle of, of the Well. Of the these days, uh, we are we are working on uh, some uh, innovations about that uh, uh, because uh, we are trying to to close the cycle completely with the cork stoppers, and in our foundation we are working with uh, cork uh, tree uh, covers for the urban trees and also another uses. Uh, uh, in uh, urban uh, management also, and on uh, construction, design, etc. No, you, if you collect the uh, the cork and you can use the, the gra cork granulated from uh, cork uh, used corks, you can give uh, to the cork another use. No, and uh, because of that, the amount of CO2 uh, fixation by the cork stopper is, uh, is, is bigger than if you just drop the cork stopper to the, to the can. No? So, um, One question here, uh, is there some uh, mechanism to recover this cork that is used and to, to, to collect it and, and, and take it somewhere to, so that it can be reprocessed? What, what sort of mechanism is there? Because I'm thinking now, well, you know, if I have a bottle at home, um, I, I wouldn't know what to do with the cork. I mean, uh, there's no specific place where you can just drop just the corks, right? Uh, for for yes. most consumers. So, so how, from the industry, how you make sure that there are mechanisms in place so that this cork can be recovered? Yes, well, there are some experiences in different countries, uh, France, Portugal, USA, and also we are starting here in, in, in Spain with the uh, recovering uh, with the help of the administration, because it's also important for, for them. But at the end, I think that the, the, the main or the important point here is that we want that the, the consumer understand that buying cork products, uh, they, they are helping to maintain all the environmental services that uh, I have explained it before. No? CO2 mm -hmm. fixation, maintenance of uh, biodiversity, creation of jobs in rural areas. No? So, um, and uh, more, uh, more things about that, uh, uh, that it's something, a new approach that we are facing now is the 
climate emergency and the COVID crisis. No, so uh, we we have the possibility of mitigate the impacts of these uh, two global challenge by inspiring the transformation towards a, a more inclusive and sustainable economy. And you see, uh, I, I think uh, because of some of the examples, the recycling of cork, uh, the, the CO2 fixation of the uh, rural, uh, the, the, the tree uh, forest, yeah, yeah. are an example of that. No? Mm -hmm. And how much of a role does these sustainability credentials play in, in the marketing of cork uh, when competing, when competing, for example, uh, with a, a, a screwed, um, the screws that uh, are common in some, for example, new, new world wines, for example, or other materials that use other plastic materials or other, other stuff. Um, it, how important is this uh, sustainability angle? when uh, promoting, when positioning cork as a as an traditional, but at the same time, a, a, a material that have a role to play in, in, in the sustainability, um, big sustainability push that we are seeing across all sectors of the economy. Yes. Well, you can imagine it's, it's they are very important, important no? the, the sustainable credentials. And it's, uh, it's clear also that if consumers and, and society in general are increasingly aware of the climate emergency and in which we find ourselves, we have to offer them products that not only not pollute, but also help uh, mitigate the, the challenge we are facing. No? And also uh, in comparison of uh, alternatives to, to cork stoppers, for example, screw caps, plastics or, or or perhaps uh, materials like sugar cane. I do not think that any of these alternatives are, are comparable in terms of sustainability, no? Whether we, we count the carbon footprint or all the positive environmental externalities that I have said before. Mm -hmm. And what type, of, uh, what type of actions or initiatives, programs uh, do you conduct with the industry? To, to raise awareness about the role of cork in, in, in uh, well, the, there's a waste angle, the climate angle, are there specific actions or specific um, programs mm -hmm. to, to make sure that um, cork keeps its place or even expands it in, in the industry? Well, mm, there are many, many things that we try to communicate. First of all, about the uh, analogical approach that uh, the, the, the cork stopper is not just a, a, a closure. Uh, I, we like to, to say that the cork stopper is a, an, an analogical uh, point of view important for, for the winery. Also, uh, we, uh, we try to, to explain uh, the uh, worldwide how we uh, collect the cork, no? or how we manage the forest, because uh, there are some examples on, from several countries that uh, think that uh, to extract the, the cork, uh, we need to cut the tree, and that's, that's completely false. No? So the communication is it's important for us uh, in, a, in, a, uh, in a technical way, in an educational way, in a forest and, uh, and consumer way. So we have to, to take a whole, a, a huge, uh, a wide angle of, of communication. No? And also, I think that we, we do an important um, job uh, in, the, in the forest management. No? Uh, the cork forest, uh, like the binary, is affected by climate change. No? So uh, but in, on the other hand, we are fortunate that the cork tree is resistant to forest fires and droughts, no? but, but uh, the, the deterioration of climate could end up affecting the productivity of trees. No? So also the, the uh, forest and, um, perspective is it's important for us. Mm -hmm. So the, when, when you mentioned this, this aspect about the, the resistance to forest fires, for example, uh, mm -hmm. 
I mean, we have seen in in, in, uh, in the case of Catalonia um, some some areas that where it used to be the the the, the cork trees uh, were replaced later by by pines, which are much more uh, prone to to fires. Um, I, I don't know up to what point that's still a risk, or uh, do you see any any risk of, of substitution of, of these uh, uh, cork forests being replaced in in, in the, the major growing areas like in, in the south of Portugal and Spain um, and that that could also lead to to problems like like bigger forest fires for example as there's a temperatures rise um, I don't know if you you guys have done any any studies on that mm. this ecological, well Problem. Well, in fact, I will say that on the contrary, no. I think that the people um, is or the administration is more aware about the problem of the uh, forest uh, fires, and uh, in a, an important example uh, happened in in Portugal with uh, the promotion of eucalyptus and that promotion. Uh, caused a lot of problems of uh, 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 the biggest fires in history in Portugal. So um, the use or the management of uh, cork forest contributes uh, to the uh, extinction or the the um, the, uh, yeah, to preventing the to solve yes that yeah, is true the fires. because you need to to manage the forest you need to clean the forest you need to uh, clean also the ways to uh, to extract the, the cork. So uh, and also the same the same tree is re fire resistant. So it's, it's a, a good example of uh, promotion of fire, no? In in, the, in that sense. So we can see here, for example, in, in our territory, uh, the, in fact, the, the administration is promoting. The, the cork trees. So we are happy with that. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So we've got here a, an example of an indirect way that uh, the wine industry can uh, can contribute to to mitigate some some of the of the ecological issues uh, that might might be worse if climate change affects some climate change affects some areas. Um, there is a question here for from Claire again. It says I understand that in Portugal there is an initiative to decrease the first viable cork harvest from 40 years to 25 years to assist with replanting. Is there such a thing in Spain? So I, if I understand this, is to uh, basically uh, that they are waiting less time to harvest the mm. the cork in Portugal. Yes. Yes, they are uh, using some uh, methods um, to to uh, to increase the 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 ratio of uh, extraction of cork. But here in in Spain, it's uh, we are not working with that. In fact, we are working more in the natural regeneration, uh, restoration of areas degraded by fires or other measures like reducing density, because here in Spain, our, um, our cork forest is little different from Portugal. No? The, so we are working in, 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 in that kind of uh, forest management and not the same way of uh, Portugal, but it's, it's, correct. It's, it's correct for us. Mm -hmm. Very well. So I don't think we have any other questions at the moment. Um, if there are any any other questions, uh, now's the time. Otherwise, we we are getting already close to the to the time allocated for this session. So, any other any other questions? Let's wait a couple of minutes in case someone has something. So, how is it different in uh, Portugal from from Spain? The the the, the cork tree. Well, you, you have to think, maybe you, you have the image of the Deesa or the Montado. The Deesa and Montado are the names in Spain of, and Portugal of the uh, cork uh, 
oak uh, tree forest. And for example, here in Catalonia, in Catalonia we have uh, 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 more mountains, uh, biggest density of cork, and also uh, that's, that's a problem of productivity of cork. And uh, on the other hand, we, we need, we need uh, uh, 14, more or less, for 14 years of each extraction of cork. And there, uh, the south of Spain and Portugal, they just need uh, nine, 10 years uh, for each extraction no? to, to, uh, to have the length, uh, necess necessary length of, of uh, cork bark. So that's the time that the cork, that's the time that it takes for the cork to grow around the, around the tree between the harvest. Yes, yes, okay. yes. That's, that's the idea, yes. Um, mm -hmm. Before that, I, I, uh, if you remember, I said that you need uh, at least 60 years mm -hmm. to, to, uh, to record tree and obtain uh, uh, a cork uh, bark uh, uh, useful for, for cork uh, stoppers, no? Because uh, you, the, the first extraction is about uh, 25, 30 years. Uh, but the first extraction and the second extraction is not useful for uh, the fabrication of cork stoppers. Mm. So that two first extractions are used in construction and other uh, other utilities, but uh, it's just um, up to the third extraction you, you can use the, the, the cork. No? So, well, as, as the vineyard, that's a, a long-term view. And um, if you have to work with, with, with cork, uh, the sustainability is it's, it's necessary. It's, it's a way of life. Because if you don't think in, uh, in a sustainable ways, you, you cannot obtain uh, uh, cork stoppers or whatever. No? So, mm -hmm. It's a, it's a different if, way of thinking. No? I don't know if 60 years is maybe it's it's between the range of the supercomputing center models. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, could be could be interesting to be in touch. No, after that uh, that meeting, yes. Very well. So I don't think we have any more questions at the moment. We are actually very close to the scheduled time. So I think if there are no more questions we we will leave it here for this time but okay. certainly ah, uh, many well many many things that we have discussed here possibly would would deserve a session on their own uh but that we'll leave it maybe for for the next edition of this wine forum the sustainable wine forum so thank you very much to everyone for for attending for participating and any other questions feel free to to, uh, to contact us and to contact the, the panelists for, for more details. Thank you very much, everyone. <laughs>